you open up to the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you don't, there's going to be the scriptures up there on the screen as well. Um, so now we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 through 20. And I'm going to go ahead and read that, and then we're going to just pray and ask God's blessing upon our, our time here tonight. So again, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, reading through verse 20. It says this, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there, and, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel of the Lord had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. And in verse 20, it says, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise just for, for so many things, but just first and foremost, God, I want to praise you just for who you are. An incredible, sovereign, holy, righteous, loving, caring, just God, who as amazingly big and powerful as you are, still cares about us as individuals to to reach down and, and just to have a relationship with each and every one of us. God, what an incredible thought that is. God, tonight um, we've, we've worshipped, we've praised, and now we're going to get into your word. God, I, I pray that you've been just glorified thus far in this service, and I pray you'd be glorified through this message, Lord. We just give this time to you and just ask that you would speak. Just give us the ability to put aside the cares of the day and things coming tomorrow that we can... Just give you our full attention just for these next moments, Lord. And I just pray that you would move in hearts and lives and minds. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the records around the, the, the Bible narrative surrounding kind of the Christmas story is really an incredible thing. You know, I mean, no matter how many years I get through it and how many times I read through it, it, it just never ceases to amaze me when I think about the fact that God became flesh. That, that God loved this world so much, He loved you and I so much, that, that He sent Jesus to come to this world as a mortal human baby. That that Christmas morning when God became man. It, it really is just an incredible, remarkable story that we have. And it's not just a story, it's true. I hate using that word story, but, but, it, but it's a fact. You know, there, there are a lot of different things we could talk about concerning the Christmas narrative, but, but tonight we're going to be focused on, as you probably noticed throughout the songs and obviously through the text, tonight we're really going to be focusing on the shepherds. In, in verse 8 of our text here, it says that that night there were shepherds staying out in the, in the fields guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, have you ever thought when you think about the fact that 
God became flesh, right? I mean, this Christmas morning, this Christmas day, of all the people in the surrounding areas that, that he could have revealed this news to first, why in the world would he choose a bunch of shepherds? Like, why didn't God choose some earthly king or, or, or the priest there in Jerusalem? Why not the rich or the social elite? Of all the people that God could have chose to reveal this news about this baby boy that had been born, he chose the lowest of the low in society, which were these shepherds. Now, maybe you don't know this, but the common view of the shepherds of the day when Jesus was born really wasn't very good. They were pretty much on the bottom of the um, bottom rung of the social ladder. They pretty much carried the same status as a tax collector or a dung sweeper. That's kind of how the people looked at them. In fact, um, from the, the Jewish Mishnah, which is the, the written kind of oral record of Jewish tradition, this is what it has to say about shepherds. One passage describes them as being incompetent. Another says that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. They could not fulfill judicial offices. They couldn't be admitted in court as witnesses. The, the smug religious leaders of the day maintained a strict caste system at the expense of the shepherds. And, and shepherds were officially labeled sinners a technical term of the time for a class of despised people. And yet, this is who God in his sovereign wisdom chose to be the first ones that he would reveal the birth of this newborn king, his son. You know, it's comforting to me that, that God doesn't see people like we see people. You know what I mean by that? Like, it, God doesn't care about our status in society. He doesn't care whether we're rich or whether we're poor. He doesn't care about our outer beauty. He doesn't care whether we're successful in the world's eyes or not. Teenagers, God doesn't care how popular you are. It doesn't matter to him. In fact, and in fact the fact that God chose to come to these shepherds first tells us that, that, that God loves even the most unlovable people that there are. He loves the most unlovable. In fact, he loves them so much that he wants to reveal himself to them. Really just an awesome thing to think about. It's pretty humbling. Well, what we see in our, in our verses here, it's not only that, that the angel appeared to these shepherds. The, these shepherds literally got to the privilege of seeing something that people had not seen literally in centuries. And we see this in verse 9 where it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. They got to see and witness with their eyes the very glory of Almighty God. Now, what was that exactly? The best we can describe it is kind of a, a term called the Shekinah glory of God. And, and, you know, there's a number of times in the Old Testament we kind of see this. Uh, really, the, one of the first times is in Exodus chapter 40, in, in verses 34 through 38, where Moses had just finished the tabernacle and the curtain of the Holy, of Holy of Holies was put up. And it said that the, a great cloud came down and covered the whole tabernacle. And during the day, when it was representing God's presence, and all day long the cloud would be there, and at night it would glow with fire. It was just like it would just brighten up everything around it. And, and it's just this idea that the glory of God lit up the night sky. And these shepherds got to see that with their very own eyes. 
How cool would that be to see? Have you ever thought about this, Christians? Those of us that know Christ the Savior, do you realize we're going to get to see that same glory someday? You know, in the end of the book, in the end of the Bible here, in Revelation chapter 22, it, it tells us how there's, and, and when we get to be in our final place of destination as Christians with the Lord, the new heaven, the new earth, it says there's not going to be a need for lights. There's not going to be a need for the sun because the glory of God is going to be all the light we need. He, he, he himself will shine up the world. What an amazing thought that that is. And, and the shepherds got to witness that with their very own eyes. It's interesting that verse 9 says when they saw this angel, they were terrified. Now, why would they be terrified? Well, it's because contrary to kind of the modern picture of the cute little cherub with the, with the cute little harp, you know what I mean? That's really not at all the way the, the Bible describes what angels are. And in fact, the Bible describes angels um, as these mighty warriors. The first kind of picture you get is in Genesis chapter 3 where there, there are these mighty warriors holding flaming swords going to and fro. I mean, it, it, in, in the Old Testament, we see a number of times that like one angel is so mighty that he can go and destroy an army of tens of thousands of soldiers. You're talking about when they saw an angel, they saw a mighty warrior. And just fear fell upon them. They were terrified. You know, it shouldn't come to any surprise that every time we see an account of somebody seeing an angel in the Bible, their, their first response is always that of fear. But, you know, that's not the only thing they got to see. To, to double that fear, they experienced the glory of God. And I don't think it was like this, like, oh, moment. It was like a woe is me moment. You know, the, the picture of the glory of God we could see in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is kind of transported to heaven in the midst of, uh, of seeing God in all his glory. And, and he says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. There's something about the glory of God that, that should cause a healthy fear inside of people. Now, we don't see the glory of God that way, but can I tell you something? To live our lives as if God is not watching really truly is the height of foolishness because he sees all things. You know, we, should, we would be wise to live with a healthy fear of God. You know, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You realize the Bible tells us that in Romans 14 that each of us will give a personal account to God for everything that we have done? I don't know about you, that just makes me step, uh, take a step back and go, I better really think about the way I'm living my life and, and think about the decisions that I'm, that I'm making. It's so important. Now, what's interesting about getting back to the text is that although they were terrified, you get to verse 10 and they get this reassurance from the angel where the angel simply says, don't be afraid because I bring you good news. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Well, what was the good news? Well, the good news is found down there in verse 11 where, where, he, where, he, says, where he says this, that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. Now, the Messiah was considered by the Jewish ones to be the anointed one of God, the one whom the Israelites had been waiting for for centuries, the one who was going to come save them from their enemies, hence 
your Savior has been born, the Messiah. But the angel didn't stop there. The angel kept on going. He, he says, also the, the Lord has been born today. Now, throughout the Old Testament, when you see the Lord, oftentimes it's, it's speaking of the Lordship of God himself. And so if you can imagine being these shepherds, hearing this, like, how could it be the Lord was born? Could, could it possibly be true that, that the Lord was born as a baby? As a baby? Well, you've heard the old saying that good things come in small packages, and this was certainly true um, when it came to this. You know, as we saw last week, if you were here, we talked to look at some of the prophecies of old in the Old Testament referring to, to the Christmas story. And in, anybody that knew anything about the, the Old Testament prophets would have known Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where it talked about the virgin conceiving a child, and, and he'd be born, and you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so certainly what the angel was saying was absolutely true. The angel confirmed this to be true when, the, when, he, when he said that this baby would be found lying in a manger. You know what a manger is? Where, where you'd feed the animals. It's, a, it's essentially a feed trough. Now, just put yourself in your shoes for a minute. I mean, they've been waiting for a mighty warrior to arise from Israel. When, when, you, when you think about, like, put yourself in the, in the shoes of a Jewish person a couple thousand years ago. When they heard the word Messiah, they pictured warrior. They pictured somebody from the line of the great King David himself. They, they pictured someone who was going to come and rescue them from, their cap, from the people that held them captive. And, and, and yet, this angel come and tells them that this Messiah had just had the most obscure birth in all of human history. <laughs> Born, laid in a manger, the Son of God. If it wasn't for the fact that the angel had told them this, I, I can tell you that it probably would have just sounded crazy. Who would have ever thought that the Savior of the world would come as an innocent baby laid in a manger? And, and yet what happened next would have had to have just absolutely astounded the shepherds. In verses 13 and 14 it says, Suddenly that one angel was joined by a, a vast host of others. We don't know how many were there. But it was probably way too many to count. Just angels everywhere enlighten up the night skies, his skies, his armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, these, these, these shepherds got to experience a, a picture of heaven. When you see, like in Revelation, this picture of heaven, it's angels around the throne of God praising his name. And this is exactly what, I mean, they got to experience heaven on earth just for a moment. How awesome would that have been? But in the midst of the message, I'm sure they wondered, well, what is this message of peace? Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. Well, what kind of peace were these angels talking about? Would Israel finally be free of its oppressors? Would the Roman Empire fall? Would Israel take its place? Would all the enemies around them finally be vanquished? Someday. But that's not the peace the angels were talking about primarily. No, the angels were speaking of a much more superior peace this child would eventually bring that was a far, far greater thing than political peace or inner peace or peace with the nations that surrounded them. The peace the angels spoke of was peace between God and man. 
In verse 10, the angel said, we bring you good news, and and good news it was. In fact, it was the greatest news ever, because Jesus came to save his people from their sins. You know, but the enemy, he came to, um, the, the enemy came to save them from wasn't the Romans or some other earthly nation. In fact, the peace Jesus came to bring them at the time had nothing to do with their national sovereignty. No, Jesus came to save the people from their sins. The sins that had separated them from holy God. Jesus came to save them from the sin that left them condemned to face the judgment of God. The peace the angels spoke of was a peace that would be made possible as that little baby grew into a man that would eventually go to a cross and die, be buried, and rise again on the third day. You know, the amazing thing is about that message of peace that the angels talked about 2,000 years ago is still the same offer of peace today. The same peace that the angels of the Lord spoke to those shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem is a peace that's still offered to every single one of us. You know, as we think about the, the birth of Jesus, it's amazing enough to think that of all the people God could have appeared to, he appeared to the shepherds. But even more amazing to me to think about this story is the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of heaven, became flesh and his first bed was a manger. The first bed of the king of heaven was a feed trough where animals ate. What a humble thing to do. And and yet, you know what that tells me? When when I think that, that Jesus was willing to humble himself that low, and yet he was king, this is what that tells me. It tells me that Jesus came for all people. It tells me that that Jesus came for the princes of the world, and he also came for the paupers. He came for the rich, he came for the poor, and everyone in between. Jesus came for the social outcast and the socially accepted. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, Jesus came for you. It doesn't matter if you think you're the worst of sinners or if you convinced yourself you're innocent as a church mouse, Jesus came for you. He came for everybody. The big, the tall, Those are a little bit too chubby, and those are a little bit too small. He came for them all. I mean, he came for everybody, and everybody in between, he came for all of us. If the manger tells us anything, it tells us that he lowered himself to save the lowest of sinners, even the highest of king. He came for everybody in between. Jesus came for everybody. What an awesome thing that that is. You know, when I think about John 3, 16, the most famous verse in Scripture, for God so loved, what? Notice it doesn't say that for God so loved just the social elites that he sent his one and only son. Or it doesn't say that, that for God so loved those who pretty much had their life together, he sent his one and only son. He doesn't say for God so loved those that are mostly good, he sent his one and only son. He doesn't say for God so loved the popular ones or the famous ones that he sent his one and only son. He says for God so loved the world. He said Jesus for everybody. For you, for me, for everybody. You know, if the shepherds in the humble manger tell us anything, it tells us that God sent Jesus for us all. Now, with that truth, I want to talk about the response to that truth that we should have. We're looking at three different things tonight. Now, if you notice my message title tonight, it says a right response 
to an amazing Savior. We've talked about the Savior who was born, laid the manger, the peace that he came to bring. Now I want to talk about three responses that we see from the shepherds that I think are very, very fitting even for our own lives. The first one is this. We need to respond to the message of Jesus in faith. Look down at verse 15. It says this, When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Now when they, when they heard the message about Jesus, they responded in faith and they went and they found him. I mean, we know that's the story, obviously, but I mean, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. I mean, they could have looked around at each other and went, That sounds too good to be true. Or they could have been like, what about all over? Who's going to watch our sheep? I mean, there's wolves out here, there's bears out here, there's lions out here. Who, who, who's going to watch our sheep? I, I just don't know. We better just, we better just stay here. But you know what? They didn't make any excuses. They just, they just went. They responded to the news of the Savior, and they went and they found him. Can I tell you something? Just as the message that was given to the shepherds required a response of faith, it is no different for us today when we hear the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus requires a response of some sort from our lives. The good news of the gospel is this. When I say the gospel, here's what I mean. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news that started that Christmas morning when God sent his one and only son. The good news is that baby grew to a man who lived a perfect sinless life. And in spite of the fact that he didn't have to do it, he chose to go to a cross. He chose to die. Why did he die? He died for our sins. He died to pay the price of our sins so that we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. That, that's why he did it. He died on the cross, bore the wrath of God for our sins. The Bible says he was buried in a tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead. And he's still alive today, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, Scripture says. And in doing so, in doing that, the Bible tells us that he opened up the door to heaven. He made it possible for sinful men who were separated from God to be reunited with God, to be made right with him, to become children of God, to be saved from our sin. But it's, it's not enough just to know what that says. That message of the gospel requires a response. We have to do something with it. Well, the question is, and then what do we have to do with it? Well, one thing we need to do is believe it. It starts with a simple belief that Jesus was the Son of God who went to a cross, died, was buried, and rose again. We need to just believe it in faith that what the Bible says is true. But that's another step that, that, that we need to also believe. We, we need to understand that the reason he did that, he did that was for me. I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need a Savior. And so based on that understanding that, that Jesus is who he says he is, and the Bible says I'm a sinner, and I accept that fully. I, I admit it, I'm a sinner. Therefore, what the Bible tells me then is I need to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. I need to, I need to, 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 to talk to my Heavenly Father and to say, God, I have sinned against you. But I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins, and I receive him in my life and to be my, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. God, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you from this day forward. That's the response of faith that the gospel calls for. It's not enough just to know it. 
It's not enough just to have the knowledge of it. It requires us to do something about it. It requires us to surrender our life to Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. That's the step of faith that we need to do. Now, Romans 10.13 tells us that if people choose to do that in faith, that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Without hesitation, if you would, it doesn't matter who you are, what, you're, what you've done in your past, it does not matter at all. God will accept you just as you are if you call to him in faith. You know, some people ask the question, well, how do we know this whole God thing is real? Can we know that God is real? You know what I love about verse 16? Look at verse 16 for a second. It says here, that they, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. Now this may seem like, yeah, may seem insignificant, but can I tell you something? God verified his message with verifiable proof. They responded in faith, they went and the baby was there. They found him. Can I tell you something? I, I can't sit here and prove to you that God's real. I've never heard him audibly speak. I've never seen him with my own eyes. Now, I could point around to so many things and say, look around you. You can't deny that God is real. But the problem is, is I can't prove to anybody it takes a step of faith. It takes us saying, I'm just going to take the Bible for what it says and that it's true. But you know what's amazing when we do that? God verifies it on the inside of us that he's real. You know, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 tells us that his spirit joins with our spirit to confirm or to affirm that we are God's children. See, I can't prove to you or point God out to you, but here's what I can tell you. I know that Jesus lives because he lives in me. He, he's as real as you're standing here in front of me. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's just something about it that the living God becomes alive inside of you and he makes himself so real it cannot be denied. He will verify that he is real as soon as you take that step of faith and just says, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, come into my life. God comes near to you and he makes, yourself real. He makes himself real, so real that you'll never ever deny it again. Pretty amazing. So we need to take a step of faith and respond to the news of Jesus. The second thing I want us to see is another thing we need, another response we should have, especially if we are here, if we are Christians here, we need to tell this message of Jesus to others. If you look at verse 17, it says, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said about them to this, about this child. Um, you know, one thing that is obvious is that this encounter um, that the shepherds had change them forever. Like, what they experienced was so amazing and so life-changing, they could no longer hold that news in. They had to tell the people about what God had done. Now, why were they so excited? I mean, well, it was obvious, right? They saw Jesus. But I wonder if there wasn't just a little bit more to it. We've already talked about kind of the view of the shepherds of the day how the society kind of viewed them. And, I mean, don't think the shepherds didn't know that. Shepherds knew how people viewed them. And yet maybe, just maybe, do you think that the fact that God came to them was just like this amazing, humbling thing, like, wow, God, you came and revealed this to us. 
Can I tell you something? If we really saw ourselves the way we truly are, we, would, we should be as humbled and amazed by the fact that God pursued us as the shepherds were that God pursued them. Can I tell you something? If you're a Christian here, it's by no accident. The Bible says that we didn't pursue God, he pursued us first. Just like God came and revealed himself to these shepherds, if you're a Christian here tonight, it's because God made himself real to you. Yeah, it probably came through the message of a pastor, a message of a friend or a parent, but God revealed himself to you. God drew you to himself. John 6, tells us there is no one that can come to the Savior, Jesus, unless God first draws them to him. It, we're Christians first and foremost by the drawing of Almighty God. And think about that. We know ourselves. You know your heart better than anybody knows your heart. You know the deepest, darkest secrets. You know the stuff that's in there, the baggage that's in there. And God still pursued you with an everlasting love. If you're a Christian here, not only did he pursue you, pursue you, but he saved you. He washed your sins away. The Bible says he cast them as far as the east is from the west. He made you a child of the living God, co-heirs with Christ himself. We have eternity to spend with him with no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. How amazing is that? Have you ever thought about that and just stopped and really internalized the grace of God? And just how truly merciful he is? We didn't earn our salvation. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It is only because of the grace and mercy of God. And this should humble us. It should humble us so much that the, the least we can do in response to what God has done is tell somebody else about it. It should excite us to the core. It shouldn't just amaze us, but it should also change us. If you look at verses 18 and 19, it says that all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart. You know, no doubt they were astonished by the story they told. I mean, incredible, right? But I also think they were as astonished by the messengers as they were the message. That these lowly shepherds had this encounter with God that had changed them so much that people listened to them and went, whoa. Do people see a change in you? If you know Christ as Savior... When people look at you, do they look at you in astonishment as somebody that, that God has changed? Like, what is different about you? What is this joy you have in your life? How, how do you hold it all together when you have all this stuff in your life? How do you do that? Oh, let me tell you. Because Jesus has come into my life and he has changed me. Friends, we have an incredible, incredible message to tell. If Jesus has changed your life, tell the news to somebody else so that he can change theirs as well. Let us not hold it in. So response one, if you've never, made, if you've never responded to Jesus, respond to Jesus in faith. Come to salvation. Response number two, if you know Christ the Savior, we need to do what the shepherds did. We need to respond by telling others about Jesus. And this last point is just simple. We need to respond with continual worship and praise. If you look at verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, because it was just as the angel had told them. 
You know, if I had to guess, their worship and praise of God probably lasted longer than one night. <laughs> My guess is they um, had a regular practice of worship and praise from, probably from that moment on. And my guess is that their worship wasn't just worship of the lips. It was probably worship of their lives. And can I tell you something? When I think about glorifying and praising God, that is certainly something we should do with our lips. Throughout the week, we're singing, we should be singing praises. There's just something about singing praises of the Lord. Humming when you're driving down the road, listening to worship music. We come here, and it's just like this overflow of worship where we come together excited about singing praises to our God. If God has changed you, if you've truly experienced Him, there should always be a praise upon your heart no matter what's going on. But that's just the start. Because true worship, true worship comes from our lives. As we choose each and every day, to, as Psalm 29.2 says, to give God the glory that he is due. Friends, are we giving God the glory that he is due in our lives? If Jesus has changed you, if he has gotten a hold of your heart, if he has saved you from your sins, let's respond by telling people about him. Let's respond by living our lives, a life of worship, a life of praise. Let's bring him the glory that he is due. Let's worship him, let's praise him, let's make the, Jesus, the name of Jesus and his glorious message, let's make it known to the people around us. Let that be our response to this news of this amazing Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight and your word. And again, just to, to be reminded about this incredible, incredible story of these shepherds and what they experienced. But Lord God, I just pray that uh, tonight that we would just respond, God, like the shepherds did. God, I don't know the heart of every person in here, Father. I, I don't pretend to know, but God, you do. And if there be any person in this place that has never made the choice to follow Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, God, tonight let them just, just do what the shepherds did, respond in faith. Just like we talked, just let them call out to you. In the quiet of their seat, they can pray to you, say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Let, them, let that be their first response. For all of us that know Christ tonight, God, just give us the boldness to share the message of the gospel. The one message has the power to save, the power to change life. God, let us be bold. Let us be obedient in that call. And Father, never let worship be something that's taken for granted in our lives. Never let, just let us never get to a place where we're, we're too bogged down, too stressed out, too whatever, that we can't worship God. But always let there be a song of praise upon our lips, God, because you deserve it. You deserve to be praised. You deserve to be worshipped because of who you are and for what you have done. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we close tonight, we are going to have a little video that's